Welcome, and thank you for joining us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church in Kannapolis, North Carolina. As student pastor, Justin Stevers shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come, let's listen in. A lot of great philosophers, a lot of great four-year-olds have amazing questions, right? What's the meaning of life? Why are we here? What are we? Are we? These are all these deep philosophical questions that thinkers and four-year-olds alike have been trying to, to work together to get the great answers that we've all been looking for for centuries and centuries. But still, we have people who are debating and disagreeing on even these fundamental questions to these uh, fundamental, with fundamental answers. And then some would say, with the spirit of our age, they would say, you know, forget about this question, just these questions don't matter. What matters is, is your truth. You know, there's no objective truth. No, you can't be sure that there's a truth. And then the right response to that is, are you sure? Uh, you, you sound pretty sure that there's no truth, but if there's no truth, then that statement isn't true. Therefore, you're kind of dumb. Um, but we, we all live lives as if there is truth, right? Like you can't get around that. We live as if there's truth. We build our whole lives in ways that, that we, we assume some type of truth to reality. But I think uh, thousands of years of human philosophy, thousands and millions of four-year-olds asking the, the hard-hitting questions has shown us that Paul is right in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2. I think all these years of philosophy has shown us that human-centered worldly wisdom gets us nowhere. It can do great things. We can build tall buildings. We can get huge advancement in healthcare. We can build the greatest car known to man, the Honda CRV. We can get all these great things, but we can't figure out in ourselves ultimate purpose. We can't figure out in ourselves ultimate truth. So the last few times we've been in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul has been going on this rant a little bit against worldly wisdom. He's been calling out the Corinthians. Remember, he's writing to this messed up church, this church who's holding on a little too tightly to their former lives. They're holding on a little too tightly to the culture around them. And this church is being a little bit too influenced by their old ways of thinking, their, their unchristian ways of thinking. And Paul says, I didn't come to you with this worldly wisdom, this great message that's gonna impress you and impress the world. Paul says, I came to you with a message of Christ on a cross, this message that is shameful to the world, a message that says you have to die to yourself and follow this shameful savior. And then Paul said, you know, don't be distracted. Don't fall into the trap of worldly wisdom because that is perishing. Last 
time we were in 1 Corinthians, Paul said, keep the main thing the main thing, right? Keep the main thing the main thing. Don't get distracted by methods. Be faithful to the message. And today, Paul is going to show us that, that yes, worldly wisdom is passing away, but we live and we search for and we love godly wisdom. Wisdom that leads to truth. Wisdom that leads to purpose, to life, to, as Francis Schaeffer said, the true truth. So with that in mind, um, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 16. So if you're already flipped there and you can and are able, let's stand as we honor and read God's word together. 1 Corinthians starting chapter 2, starting in verse 6. <clears throat> Paul says, Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world, that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even, hidden, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of man, which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man, but the Spirit of God. Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Let's pray, and we'll dive into it. God, you are so good. Lord, right now, we ask for your wisdom Right now, we ask for you to speak through your word. Lord, we can come together and we can do so many things in our power, but we know that nothing is worthwhile. Nothing will have an eternal, lasting effect if it is done outside of your power. So God, we pray for you to empower us tonight. We pray for you to open our ears, soften our hearts, and that we will leave this place glorifying you, enjoying you, and showing the world how great you are, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. In uh, this passage, I want us to notice three truths about receiving godly wisdom. So three truths about receiving true wisdom, godly wisdom. 
And first, I want us to notice our inability to find true wisdom. Man's inability to find true wisdom. As Paul's writing this letter, as Paul's continuing his argument, Paul uh, kind of changes his tone here in this passage. Um, He's just been going on about how worldly wisdom is fleeting, how God is using the cross to shame the wisdom of the world. Paul has been this Debbie Downer against all the, the wisdom of the philosophers, right? But now he goes on and says, however, we do follow, we do pursue, we do live out true wisdom. But the end of verse six, it's not this wisdom of the world. It is a wisdom that we speak to them, verse six, that are perfect. Or that word can be translated to the mature. Well, who are these perfect? Who are these mature? Are they some kind of like special philosophers, some kind of super Christians? Who are these? Who can understand these things? Well, Paul is not referring to special philosophers or super Christians. Paul is referring to every believer, everyone who's been made alive in Christ. Paul is referring to Christians here, those who are positionally perfect, those who have received Christ's righteousness as their own, those who've been made alive in Christ. Paul is saying those who Christ has given life, those are the ones who have have access to this wisdom. The natural man man does not. The rulers of this age do not. The, The people who follow the rulers of this age, if you skip down to verse 14, a natural man receives not those things. At the end of 14, it says, neither can he know these things because they're spiritual. We have complete inability naturally to have access to this wisdom. And then take a look at verse seven. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even hidden wisdom. This is this wisdom hidden from them and, and, and we need some like special code to unlock it. We need these like special hidden numbers to like figure out what this wisdom is. Answer, no, probably not. Absolutely not. Um, one of the earliest heresies of the church that the church faced almost immediately, it's crazy how fast this heresy sprang up in the church, it was a heresy called Gnosticism. Or um, it's kind of a, a, a branch of, of docetism thought. Youth over there. Where, where, where are my youth who were here for a few years? Okay, Haleen Paisley, come on. Do you guys remember what superhero we attributed docetism to when we studied heresies back in the day? Come on. Which superhero, if you know what I'm saying? Superman? I, I, I read your lips. Okay, Superman. So we did a, a series a long time, two years ago, two and a half years ago, I don't know, um, a long time ago now, where we talked about different heresies of the church, and um, they compared them to superheroes. And Superman looks like he's a man, but guess what? He's not man. He's Kryptonian or something, right? He's from Krypton. Um, he, so he looks like he's man, but he's actually 0% man. He's 100% Kryptonian, 
a freak, a weirdo. No. Um, well, uh, the superhero, uh, the Superman heresy, this, this Gnosticism taught a lot of crazy things. It taught basically that everything that was material, everything that was solid, that was here, that existed, is physical, was bad. Everything that was material is evil. And everything that was spiritual is good, is perfect. So this heresy taught that Jesus could not have been spiritual and then took on humanity because then, then he would have been evil. That doesn't make sense in their head. Um, just like uh, uh, Superman, he, he looked like he was a man, but he was just pretending to be a man, is what they said about Jesus. But they also taught um, that in order to be a true Christian, in order to be this real Christian, you had to achieve this higher level of knowledge. The word Gnosticism, the word Gnosis, means knowledge. You have to find this hidden knowledge. And one doesn't look outside of yourself. One doesn't look for some objective knowledge. One looks within yourself for this knowledge in order to to achieve this ultimate reality. So the truth isn't outside. It's not objective, but it's it's in your feelings. It's in your philosophy. You You can only Find, once you find that secret knowledge inside yourself, then and only then will you be a true, enlightened Christian. And this sounds like a heresy straight out of 21st century America, right? Uh, don't look for objective truth. Look within. Look at your feelings. Everyone from Oprah to the Mormons have been teaching this for years and years. They've been giving this advice forever. And Paul here is not giving that advice. He's not saying this mystery, this hidden wisdom is something that's, that's subjective and inside you. That's not what Paul is saying here. This hidden wisdom doesn't come from within you. It doesn't come from a feeling. The word mystery here is talking about something that was previously hidden, but that God has now revealed. If you have a good study Bible, it'll tell you that, that this is talking about the, the unfolding plan of salvation that we see being revealed clearer and clearer throughout the story of the Bible. This mystery, this hidden wisdom is talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ that is now fully revealed in his word. That's what Paul is talking about here. Paul is saying that this is the true wisdom of God. This is what it's all about. This is what the whole of scriptures are focused on, Christ's work to save sinners. And he keeps on going. In verse 9, he says, as it is written, he quotes Isaiah 64. He says, I hath not seen nor ear heard. Paul's showing our inability to grasp wisdom in this verse. He, he's saying, no eye has seen, no ear has heard. This truth can't be fully understood through our physical senses. We can't see it. We can't hear it. We can't arrive at some sort of like scientific observation to find this ultimate reality. Romans 1, Romans chapter 1 talks about this. Talks about how everyone in the world sees and knows that God exists. Everyone in the world sees and knows that God 
is, exists. And everyone in the world suppresses that truth in sin. And we know just through nature alone, we know just enough about God to reject him and to be damned forever. That's what Romans 1 teaches. He also says, uh, no, no, no heart has conceived of this wisdom as we go on in verse nine. We can't, we can't come to the truth through our senses. We can't, we can't come to ultimate truth through our ears and eyes. We can't even think onto this ultimate truth. We can't, we can't feel onto this ultimate truth. We can't come to this truth through thoughts and feelings and philosophies. And in other words, if we can't externally like see and hear this ultimate truth, if we can't internally figure out this ultimate truth, in other words, we are helpless and hopeless without a savior. We are totally unable to come to a saving knowledge of the Lord. But the end of the verse offers hope. He goes on to say, the things, these things that we can't get to through our eyes, ears, and heart, these things that we can't get to, God has prepared for those who love him. And this leads us to our second point. Notice God's initiative to reveal true wisdom. So everyone, take your finger, put it in the air. Wave it like you just don't care. Am I right? Come on. Put it on verse 10. Look at verse 10 with me. But God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. How can we find this true wisdom? How can we, if we are unable and without hope, the good news is right there. God has revealed them unto us through his spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, has revealed these things. We were hopeless, we were helpless, and the holy God of the universe loved us enough to speak to us, to reveal these things. He revealed himself to us so that we may receive this true wisdom and know him and be restored to him. Well, how does the Spirit reveal these things? Um, two quick ways, through revelation and through illumination. First, the Spirit reveals these things through revelation. Now, not the book of the Bible, Revelation, the very last book, right before the book of Maps. Not that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about revelation, God, general, uh, special revelation, God revealing himself, God speaking to humanity so that we can know him through his word. He speaks to us through the Bible, through the word of God. This is his special revelation to us so that we can know him. And a um, hundred years ago, a little over a hundred years ago, uh, Bible publishers started doing uh, this thing that can be really helpful. Um, but also, I, I feel like today, a lot of people have been kind of confused by it. And just over a hundred years ago, 123 years ago, um, Bible publishers started putting in the New Testament chunks of text, and they started using red ink for those chunks of text. And what does that signify? Words of Christ in red, right? I knew you would answer that. You, she's always ready for a trivia question or two. Um, that was an easy one, though, so I won't give you a gold star. Um, but yeah, the 
the red ink talks about when Jesus is speaking, right? And it's very helpful, especially in the King James when there's no quotation marks, the red ink is, uh, is very helpful. But uh, I think today it, can also, it also has led to a lot of confusion. Some people legitimately, I've heard this with my ears and seen it on the interwebs, that people legitimately say that the words in red are more important than the others. Or people say the words in red are the only thing that matter. I think there was like some uh, wonky political commentator on a national news outlet like the other week who, who was spewing some of this nonsense um, on national TV. It was like, what are you talking about, buddy? Um, well, uh, people will say the words in red are most important. I care about what Jesus has to say. I don't care what Paul has to say. Jesus is the son of God, right? Paul wasn't. Jesus didn't say anything about this sin. So I want to follow Jesus. I don't care what Paul had to say. And, and people, people do that. People re- really do that. Have you heard that before or is it just me? Do you know, did you hear that on TV? It was a news, no, anyway, it was weird. Um, well, that shows, if you say that, that you don't understand what revelation is. You don't understand what this book is. It's, it's cheesy, but I said it one time. Um, there's another code in the Bible. Red letters, the words of Christ in red. Black letters, the words of the Holy Spirit in red. No, black. Man, come on, do better. No, the black letters show that God, the Holy Spirit, is talking through men. All of this book is breathed out by God. All of this is the Holy Spirit using men to give us exactly and entirely what he wanted to give us. So that wherever the Bible speaks, as B.B. Warfield said, wherever the Bible speaks, God speaks. So the Spirit gives us his, his, his wisdom through revelation. The second, the Spirit also gives us his wisdom through illumination. Without illumination, revelation gets us nowhere. We are unable to understand even this clear revelation in front of us without the illumination of the Holy Spirit. Why? Verse 14. These are spiritual things, and the natural man can't understand spiritual things. Cannot. It doesn't say like it has a hard time understanding these spiritual things. Completely unable to understand these spiritual things. The Spirit needs to open our ears and soften our hearts so that we can receive and take in and understand the wisdom of God. Why can two similar people both read the Bible and one walk away believing and one walk away rejecting? Is it because one was smarter than the other? Is it because one was better than the other? No. It's because the Holy Spirit has to open our eyes to see these true realities. Without illumination, revelation will always fall on hardened and dead hearts. But praise God that he is in the heart-swapping business. He is in the business of taking dead, calloused hearts, stone hearts, taking them out and putting in a heart of flesh, an alive, a beating heart. He gives true life if we turn from ourselves and trust in Christ, and then we can have this wisdom. We can fully understand this. So what does this mean for us? Okay, cool. 
Um, we see God's initiative. We see his spirit use its revelation, illumination. But, but what does this mean for me? Like, that stuff's in the past. I'm saved now. What does this mean? Well, one thing this means is it should encourage us to evangelize boldly. Uh, this truth should make us be bold with the gospel. Why? I feel like I touch on this point almost every time I, I preach. And it's, I think it's because I'm so weak at it. I think it's because I need to be reminded of this every week. But it should encourage us to share the gospel. It should encourage us to share the life-giving good news of Jesus Christ because the results aren't up to me. The results are not up to you. You and I just need to be faithful. Yeah, we should be ready with a reasoned defense if that's needed. Yeah, we should be living uh, winsome lives, uh, inviting people to, to follow Christ even through the way we live our lives. Yeah, we should share the truth clearer and clearer each time. But at the end of the day, the results are on God's shoulders, not ours. He is the one who does the work. And he uses means to accomplish his ends. He uses things to accomplish his purposes, right? That means he will use means like you faithfully sharing with your friend. He will use you faithfully reading to your kids or grandkids. He will use you faithfully praying for your neighbors. He will use those tools to accomplish his purpose. And you and I, we don't need to be the smartest in the room. Like Paul said last week, we don't need to add anything to the message. No ounce of style will add anything to the substance of the message. I think of Luke 6, all, uh, 16 all the time when Jesus is talking about the rich man and Lazarus. And eventually, if you guys remember the story, the rich man is in torment, Lazarus is in paradise, and, and the rich man sees, and he's like, man, just, just give me a little bit of water. And the neighbor hand says, no way, Jose. Then Lazarus says, well, well, at least, no, no, the rich man says, at least send Lazarus to go and tell my family. I have five brothers, and if Lazarus jumps up out of the grave and tells them, they're gonna repent. And Abraham says, no, they wouldn't. They have Moses and the prophets. They have the word of God. If they're not listening to the word of God now, a guy can jump out of the grave and scream in your face telling you to repent and you wouldn't believe him. You would still reject him if you're not listening to God's revelation now. So we can't add an ounce to the substance. We could somehow crawl out of a grave and our resurrection zombie body wouldn't add anything to God's message. It is there and it is powerful and that's the, God is the one who does the work. Nothing we can do can add to this message and make someone repent and believe. We just need to present the message. We don't have to be perfect at preaching the gospel, we just have to preach the perfect gospel and let the Lord do the work. So what's stopping us from doing this? We know we literally cannot fail at this. Michael Jordan said, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Well, I think for evangelism, the other thing's true too. You make 100% of the shots you do take. That doesn't mean everyone's gonna get saved whenever you evangelize, but it does mean the Lord accomplishes his purpose every time you evangelize. Either 
one day you're, you're planting a seed or you're watering, and one day you, you will gain a brother and sister in heaven for eternity, or maybe you'll be rejected, and maybe you'll be mocked and persecuted, and you'll get a, a jewel in your crown that you get to lay at the feet of Jesus. Either way, it's a win-win if we share the gospel faithfully. It's also important. It's important for us to be bold with the gospel. It's also important because it shows we cannot have any pride in our salvation. There's nothing you and I can boast in in our salvation. Jonathan Edwards says, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. We can't take any pride in our hearts for the Lord saving us. I did not come to know the Lord because I was smarter than the next guy or because I was more humble than the next guy even though I'm 100,000 times more humble than most people. Um, that's a joke. That was a Weird Al song, actually, I think, um, which is weird. Why did, I, why did I think of that? I didn't come to know the Lord because I was good enough. I came to know the Lord because he showed grace on me. Amen. You came to know the Lord because he showed grace on you and opened your heart to receive the gospel. He took the initiative while you were his enemy, while you were dead in your sin. So don't ever look down on someone who doesn't know the Lord. Don't ever think that you're better than them. I can't think that I'm better than that person who is sinning openly and heinously because there goes I, but for the grace of God. Amen. There goes Justin, if it weren't for God. And that should humble us. And third, notice the invitation to true wisdom. The natural person can't receive this wisdom that the Spirit reveals. It's foolishness to him. The person who is alive in Christ does receive this wisdom, is what Paul goes on to say. But this, uh, this wisdom is, is, is twofold, and the invitation is twofold. It's this wisdom, this gospel, this message is what makes us wise unto salvation, 2 Timothy 3, 15. Hearing and responding to this message is how we go from death to life, from being separated from God forever due to our rebellion from him to being adopted into his kingdom and this wisdom leads to our salvation. So the first invitation is to receive and rejoice in Christ. Maybe you're here tonight and you've never received Christ. The invitation is open to you. This wisdom, the Lord wants you to take this truth to turn from your sins and to trust in him, to receive eternal life, to receive true and everlasting life and true and everlasting joy that can't perish. So turn from your sins. You can't save yourself. Trust in Christ. And to the believer, if you've received the new birth, then rejoice in that great salvation. Praise the Lord. And part of praising, part of rejoicing is sharing. When you when you see a great movie and, and you really enjoyed that movie, part of you making that joy complete is going and telling someone how great that movie was, right? I don't know if you guys are movie people, but I know that's true for me. Well, part of making the joy complete in your salvation is by going and telling someone how great that joy, that salvation is. And this wisdom isn't just for salvation and nothing else. There, there is a constant progression in our sanctification that only the gospel and only this wisdom that comes from God can grow us in. So the second invitation is to grow and go. Grow in your sanctification. Grow in your wisdom by studying the word. 
grow by living in authentic community with God's people, the church, and then go and live out this wisdom. Take it, take this wisdom and live it out. Don't sit on it, but apply it. Show others how good God is. Kill your sin. Serve Christ's church. Look out for others' needs as more important than your own needs. And that's how we grow and we go and we show this wisdom to those around us. And that's what the Lord is calling all of us in here to do as believers. Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Central Baptist Church, events, and ministries, please visit our webpage at cbckannapolis.com.